So many of you are probably familiar with the brilliant biography, Unbroken. It's the extraordinary story of Louis Zamperini, who spent 47 days lost at sea when his plane went down during World War II, and then endured years of deprivation and torture at the hands of one of the most violent and sociopathic captors in a POW camp. It was a very hard read, even harder to watch when it was adapted for the big screen. And it remains an incredibly powerful and inspiring testimony to the human spirit, not to mention to the evils that humans can do to each other. You might recall that, that pivotal, there was a pivotal triumphant moment in the film where Louis, who has endured more than we, the reader or the viewer of the film, can ever even imagine he's capable of enduring, is ordered to hold a heavy wooden beam over his head. And the captor ordered another guard to hit Zamperini with the butt of his gun if he so much as lowered his arms. But the guard never had a chance because Louis never flinched. One of the POWs who witnessed this whole thing that day kept an eye on the clock and he noted that Louis Zamperini held that beam for an excruciating 37 minutes overhead. His captor finally, in a fit of rage, knocked him to the ground after 37 minutes. Louis Zamperini would later say of that experience that he didn't know how he did it. Something just went on inside of him. He said, I don't know what it was. Well, I have a few ideas. I have a feeling that that which sustained him during those 37 minutes is the same force that released him years later from the nightmares and the PTSD and the suffering. Because he describes that for years after he was freed, he suffered unimaginably, only this time not physically, but mentally. He had nightmares, he had post-traumatic stress disorder, he had uh, an addiction from the self-medicating drinking that he was doing. The flashbacks, the nightmares, the hatred, the drinking, all of it encompassed Louis's life until finally, finally, he made good on a promise that he had made to God during his time as a captive. And what he did was he turned his life over to God. He told God as a captive, that if he survived, he would devote his life to God. So after several years of wrestling with his demons himself, he did just that. And in an act of selflessness that I can hardly even imagine, after turning his life over to God, he became a missionary, went back to Japan where he had been held as a POW, and instead of hunting down the man who had tortured him, as he says he had dreamed of doing, he forgave him. Now, although he never had the opportunity to meet his captor face to face because the man refused to meet Louis, Louis wrote a letter to him. And in part, it said this, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced the hate that I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. These are the kinds of stories that 
have a tendency to try to make everything look like a hallmark moment, kind of like our Facebook pages that make everything look more glamorous and exciting than it really is. But for all of its heroism and faith and beauty, this is not a hallmark moment because Louis' captor didn't let forgiveness in. They didn't become friends. There was no apology. There wasn't even a handshake. But none of that mattered to Louis because Louis spent the next 60 years of his life until his death free in his heart. He was free from the pain of the nightmares, the PTSD. He was free from hatred, free from the self-medicating with alcohol. He was free in the best sense of the word because his being was free. He set his mind not on human things, but on the divine. And he allowed God to work through him to set him free. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew for these past few weeks this summer. And one of the things that the author of Matthew is trying to make abundantly clear to us is that what will be required of us as disciples the attitudes and behaviors of Christian discipleship. Jesus says the church will be built on a new way of doing things, not on the old order, which was the, the church of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. In Matthew, Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of the law, but that doesn't mean that things are going to be the way they were. It doesn't demand that we keep the law exactly as it was. There's a new command, the command to love. And Jesus then gave Peter the authority over the matter. And if you remember last week, our reading showed us that Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven, which had to have vexed the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were used to being in control, in the position of moral authority. But despite giving Peter that authority and the keys to the kingdom of heaven, just two sentences later, Jesus does something surprising. He is so clear on his mission that right after he's given Peter this authority, he offers one of his sharpest rebukes of Peter for attempting to deflect Jesus from his God-appointed destiny. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus shouted at Peter. Peter's protest against Jesus' suffering and death that he was going to have to endure may have seemed like a compassionate response to Peter, but to Jesus, it showed a lack of faith. Peter's refusal to accept God's will was seen as a stumbling block. You can't let your mind mess with you that way, Jesus seemed to be saying. Stay focused. You're thinking not as God does, but as humans do. Peter and the disciples must accept and believe that not only will Jesus suffer, but they too will have to follow him on the way of the cross if they are truly to be his disciples. Now Peter's denial of this is a stumbling block, Jesus says. And the Greek word here is interesting. It's scandalon, which is literally a stick used for bait to trap or ensnare someone. So Jesus knows that evil is trying to ensnare him yet again, this time with human compassion and empathy and concern, which would be so tempting, wouldn't it? 
But Jesus says, no, that is a trap. It's a stumbling block to me because you're thinking as humans do, not as God does. And then Jesus goes on to tell them that if they truly want to be his disciples, they need to pick up their cross and follow him. Which is a passage in this text that I think can become its own stumbling block to us. Because sometimes we read this passage literally and we think it means that we too have to pick up a cross and die. The ultimate sacrifice. But I'm here to tell you that when we take up our cross, we will find it exceedingly easier to bear than we ever thought possible. Because Jesus is not trying to make our lives more difficult. We are good enough at that all by ourselves. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You will have to do some heavy lifting. None of us gets off scot-free. But Jesus makes it clear that his path, this path of love, leads to abundant life and abundant joy, not pain and suffering. He paid that price for us. Now, there are indeed people who have paid the ultimate sacrifice, people of God who have died in service to God. There are countless examples through our Christian history, and sadly, they're still happening today. But I also know that when Jesus calls us to pick up our cross, to lose our lives, there are myriad ways we do that. There are myriad ways we die, and not the least of which is dying to self. Dying to the greedy, self-centered, immediate gratification lives we lead. Dying to the path of least resistance. Dying to the addictions that we have. Dying to hate and intolerance. Dying to dysfunctional relationships. Dying to whatever it is that is the stumbling block between us and God. When Jesus says you must use your life, he is simply asking us to trust him. Trust the divine and nail those things to the cross and let them go. Because we're powerless over them anyway. But there are still traps in this life, scandalon, stumbling blocks that keep us from fully realizing how easy the yoke is that Jesus offers us. One of those stumbling blocks is that we feel overwhelmed by the violence and the tragedy that we see in the world. This week alone, alongside the, the, the visuals that we saw on the news of Hurricane Harvey in Houston, I learned that 500 people were killed in a landslide in Sierra Leone, and 20,000 more of them are homeless because of it. I see the news of the investigation into the, the terrorist attack in Barcelona where someone drove a car into the crowd and killed 13 people. I see the fallout of the display of hatred in Charlottesville. I see a French president who spends $30,000 on makeup. To put it bluntly, all we have to do is watch the news and we are filled with so much grief that it can be overwhelming to the point of paralyzing us. Or we get into the business of blaming. Blaming God, blaming leaders, blaming the elite, blaming ignorance, blaming, blaming, blaming. Another stumbling block is that we think we have to control everything. We want revenge. We want to argue our side of the story and win converts. We want to justify our anger. We think we have control. 
But the only thing we can really control is love. Yes, Jesus tells us we need to pick up our cross and follow him, but our cross is quite simple. Choose love. Few of us will ever need to carry the cross that a Louis Zamperini had to carry. Few of us will ever have to carry the cross to the ultimate end, to endure trauma and death. But every single day as disciples of Christ, you will need to pick up your cross of love. I believe there are times in our lives when that cross is so heavy to bear, it may require more of us than we ever thought we could endure. It certainly did for the disciples and for the early Christians who were persecuted and martyred. But in today's world, picking up your cross can be just as hard as confronting a wild beast in a coliseum filled with people cheering not for you, but for the beast. Because love is not easy, but it is our cross to bear. So what does the cross of love look like? Well, Paul gave us a pretty beautiful reminder in Romans chapter 12 today. Since Christ has said to his disciples, there's a new order out with the old Mosaic law as guidance for the people, in with the new, which is love, Paul expounds on what that love looks like, what Christian behavior might look like. He's sharing with the people this new code of behavior for being in right relationship with God, with one another, even with the Roman Empire. What does that look like? Well, I'll give you a hint. In the center of your bulletin at the bottom of the order of the worship service, it always says, our service is ended, our love in action begins. Marie read it this morning at the top of this scripture in many of the translations of the Bible. Before the, the verses begin, it has a subhead that says love in action. That, in summary, is what Paul is telling us. He says our cross, our commandment, is to love each other. And we hear that over and over again in the New Testament. But he goes on, he adds a few things, so I'm going to share the rest of them with you again. He says Hate what is evil. Now, to hate literally means to abhor something, to regard it with disgust or hatred. That's pretty clear. Abhor what is evil. Then Paul says, be fervent in spirit. That is, serve God in everything. He says, rejoice in hope. Persevere in prayer. Paul says, contribute to the needs of our fellow Christians. Offer people hospitality. He says, and this is a tough one, don't curse those who persecute you, but bless them instead. Bless their angry little hearts. Don't, no, do rejoice with friends who are rejoicing. Weep with friends who are weeping. Associate with people who are less fortunate than you. And I love this one. Don't think you know everything. Friends, our cross is basically to be good human beings. Paul says it right there. Now, sometimes I go along as a Christian, I have to admit, thinking about Jesus in a certain way because it's what I've done my whole life. Jesus has always been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. And sometimes I get stuck thinking, 
Jesus is the person that I pray to. Jesus is the person in the Bible. Jesus is the historical figure. And other times I'm struck upside the head. It stops me up short. His very humanity. This was a person, a real live person. And he just wanted to preach and teach and love on everyone and show people what it really might be like to live this amazing, joyful life. And he was killed because of it. He was run out of town by people who claimed to be God-fearing religious people. And he was tortured and made to carry a 150-pound cross that he later was forced to hang on in front of all the people, including his mother. And while he hung there, people spat on him, and they made fun of him, and they waited for him to die. And just to make sure that he did, they stabbed him with a sword and watched the blood flow. Our cross is so easy compared to that. So easy. God doesn't want that for us. That's why he sent Jesus. And in return, all God wants for us is to love each other. As I said, most of us are never going to have to endure the kind of physical or emotional trauma that a Louis Zamperini did. Praise be to God. Our cross will likely never be that brutal. But we're not in the business of comparing crosses. Your cross is your cross. Only you know how heavy it is. My hope is that for each of us, with Christ, we will find our crosses surprisingly easy to carry. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, Jesus said. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus said. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest, Jesus said. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, Jesus said, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's the message version, by the way, of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. Many years after his captivity, Louis Zamperini said that when he was able to hold that beam overhead for 37 minutes, he couldn't explain it. Something just came over him. I don't know what it was, he said. My prayer is that when you take up your cross, you too will be able to persevere. That something will just happen inside of you and you will make love come alive in you. It will enable you to not be overcome by evil, but to come overcome evil with good. Something that will allow you to overcome the stumbling blocks and focus on the divine. And in the end, that you will live freely and lightly. Amen.